Research and Development, Episode 4. 4. On Flirt FM 101.3. If you're new to the show, here's a little bit about what we will be doing over the coming weeks. Basically, what we are attempting to do is research a topic, 
within a certain period of time about a week Rory I'd say about a week yes and then we develop on that on our show I have no idea what Rory's going to talk about apart from the the topic title Rory has no idea what I'm going to talk about apart from my topic title which is paper airplanes of all things (laughs) so we're going to give it a go so Rory would you mind reminding our listeners what you have lined up for today well if you're listening to episode three, as in last week, I talked a little bit about the start of Billy the Kid's life. And I talked about Billy the Kid's early life and led up to the Lincoln County War. But in case you weren't listening, I've tried to prepare 30, a 30 second recap that I'm going to do. I haven't really rehearsed it. I just have a, a bunch of things written down. <laughs> Mad scrawlings. Darren's just yeah, looking at them. Here. Just for all of you listeners at home. I have a timer ready on Rory's phone. I stole his phone. He stole my phone. And it's set to 30 <laughs> seconds so we can put the, his knowledge to the test. Are you All ready, right. Rory? I'm ready, I'm ready. Three, two, one, begin. So Henry the McCarty, a.k.a. Billy the Kid, was born on either the 17th of September or the 23rd of November in 1859. It is disputed by the dates. You know, there's a couple of other historians arguing, but I'm going to say that he was born on the 23rd of November. No cap. <laughs> he was born to... Uh, Patrick McCarty and Catherine McCarty but Patrick McCarty died when he was very young Catherine McCarty moved around a bit then got married to a man called William Antrim who became his stepfather but Catherine McCarty died of tuberculosis in 1874 uh, Billy the Kid's stepfather William Antrim was <laughs> that was 30 seconds that is just not enough time oh my god yeah it's it's tough to get everything down in 30 seconds oh my goodness but anyways keep keep going rory keep I'll, going i'll just i'll finish a bit slower yes uh, i just just in case the listeners couldn't understand any of that which is very very plausible and possible uh, so basically william antrim billy the kid's stepfather uh, abandoned him billy the kid went on to another town basically murdered a guy called windy cahill he was his first murder first kill <laughs> he escaped the law a few times and then he arrived in lincoln county he started working for this uh lawyer and this uh magnate uh, this uh cattle magnate uh called what was his name turnstall tunstall there is there we go uh this led to him fighting in the lincoln county war for the lincoln county rangers where he killed a further five to seven people we're not sure um and then he lost the lincoln county war and now he's a man on the run there we go a little over 30 seconds but uh i'd say 31 and a half seconds there Lord. <laughs> there we go there i'll take that i'll take yeah, that do, 31 do, and do, a half seconds <laughs> so yeah that's where we left off so we, we left off with billy the kid on the run uh because the army basically moved in and wiped out all of the lincoln county rangers so yeah. he's, he's run off with about three other people and he's fleeing Lincoln County, and I believe he's heading towards New Mexico. Last New Mexico. Off, oh yes, yeah. Um, which is which is a place that he knew very well because that's where he spent a lot of his childhood. Not a huge amount, as we know, he moved around a lot. And that was in Silver City, wasn't it? Silver New City Mexico. and Santa Fe. Santa in New Fe. Mexico. Yeah. Exactly. Well done. Good. 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 <laughs> I did my study. <laughs> so here we go. So McCarty, Billy the Kid, and his three other survivors fled at uh, Lincoln City. Um. And now this meant that Billy Kid was a fully-fledged outlaw. And during this time, whilst he was escaping the law, he decided to commit more murders. And he ended up killing a man by the name of Morris Bernstein. 
uh, Bernstein on August 5th, 1878. So once again, he's got this bloodlust, just coming out of war. He's murdering some mofos straight off the bat. He has a, a taste for it. He does. He does have a taste for it. But still, uh, as I alluded to in the previous episode, Billy Kid kind of has this charisma about him. So people didn't actually hate him that much. They, they quite liked the kid. <laughs> yeah. Um, because he, he was so charismatic. And when people met him, they, didn't, they weren't hostile towards yeah. him. Except for maybe the people he killed. Uh, but on October 5th, 1878, a U.S. Marshal called John Sherman uh, informed the newly appointed territor- uh, ter- territorial, sorry, I was stumbling over that word, uh, governor and former Union Army General uh, Lou Wallace uh, that he held warrants for several men, including Billy the Kid. So basically, this uh, marshal came in to the county and was telling the, the head of the county that he had warrants to kill or to capture Billy the Kid. And at this time was Billy the Kid sort of the main suspect or criminal in the Wild West at the time? Was he like really infamous and well known? He was, he was, because he'd appeared in quite a few news articles at this stage. And actually around this time, I believe it was the killing of Morris Bernstein that... um, Billy the Kid got his name because they called him Billy the Kid in this article. And that is actually how he got the name Billy the Kid. Before that, he was called Kid Antrim. He was called the, the McCarty Killer. You know, he, was, he had a bunch of different nicknames. But that was the first time he was called Billy the Kid. So they were probably the celebrities of the Wild West, could you say, in a way? In a way. In a way, they were celebrities. Though you wouldn't really want to bump into these celebrities. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like six nine. Yeah, 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 yeah. I <laughs> He's a celebrity, but I don't know if I'd want yeah, to bump yeah. into him. He's a, he's a bit of a weasel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so basically, he's he's a celebrity, but he's wanted for the murder of at least seven to eight people at this stage. So he, he's not a very good man. Um, Ted Bundy, maybe I don't know. He was considered. I know he was a serial killer, but people weird. People had a weird obsession. Obsession with him. With yeah. him. Uh, even get he even got proposed to like numerous times throughout his court hearing yeah. because I, I don't understand that if I'm completely very honest. Very strange. Uh, were the people who were proposing to him as deluded and strange <laughs> as Ted Bundy? I wouldn't say so. No, 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 he was a very, very bad man. Very bad man. Actually, just okay. I know this is completely off topic. Last night I came in and my parents and my sister were watching a show called Unforgotten. I believe it is. Okay. And it's basically this BBC crime drama and the cop had brought this serial killer in for questioning. And I've never seen a more... I've never watched something and just been like as horrified and wriggling in my seat as they questioned the serial killer. And it was horrible there. Like, I, I would recommend the show and subsequently I think I will actually watch the entire series because yeah. that's the only part I've actually seen. But it was just horrible. Like, I was listening to him and... The actor portraying him, I, I don't have his name offhand, but he portrayed a, like a psychopath so well that he was like sneering and smiling at all the right moments when any sane person would be wreathing with, you know, guilt or anything yeah, like yeah. that. Anyway, completely off topic. I was trying to get relevant, relevant. Re- relevant, relevant. So Billy the Kid, this kind of famous outlaw, wanted uh, in the state, in the territory of... Uh, Lincoln County and the neighboring counties. So Marshal John Sherman's going after him. Uh, but Wallace, the uh, former Union uh, Army General, 
uh, issued an amnesty proclamation on November 13th, 1878, uh, which pardoned anyone involved in the Lincoln County War, which is a big deal because there were at least 50 people who were fighting the law who'd held up in Lincoln County, in the, the town of Lincoln, sorry. Um, so he, he was willing to uh, pardon them all uh, from the point of Tunstall's murder. Yeah. Okay. So if, uh, but this specifically excluded people who'd been convicted of a crime previously. Ah, uh, yes. And if we know good old Billy, he, he was convicted of he, quite a few crimes. A lot, a lot. <laughs> but he escaped a lot. He, he escaped did, he a did. lot too. So Billy the Kid continued to flee from the authorities because of this when many of his uh, fellow comrades actually went and turned themselves yeah. in and told their stories about the Lincoln County War. And this is actually where we found a lot about Billy the Kid. A lot, uh, we found out most of our information about Billy the Kid because he would have told, he would have recounted his early years to these people and they would have recounted it and it's in like court records and everything. And do you think the fact that he kind of told stories of his, his younger years, do you think he would have told them in a slightly biased way to make him look a lot better or are they pretty much unbiased? I would say they're very biased. But he didn't, he didn't make himself out to be a hero. He never made himself out to be a hero. But I would say that the stories about his early kills and, you know, subsequent murder, you know, uh, were probably, I don't know how you'd say it, but touched up in a way that made it sound like he was defending himself rather than being the aggressor. Um, so I wouldn't say we can definitely count on some of these accounts. Uh, as they would be quite biased, but I'd say for the most part, what happened in them is probably factually correct. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so McCarty's fleeing from the uh, authorities, but then he met a man called Jesse Evans. And this Jesse Evans character, when, I, when you think of Billy the Kid and he's an outlaw, this Jesse Evans character is on a whole new level. He's just, he's not a nice man. And you'll see why right now. It's Jesse Evans caught Billy the Kid. Billy the Kid thought the jig was up. This was him going to go to jail and to be hung. But instead, Jesse Evans, who was a fellow outlaw, forced Billy the Kid as he shot Billy the Kid's friend and burnt his body in front of him. So Billy the Kid just witnessed the man he'd been running away from the Lincoln County War be shot and burnt in front of him. But instead of turning Billy the Kid into the authorities, Jesse Evans decided to release Billy the Kid. He was just a sadist who wanted to see him suffer. I can't believe that. So maybe that was one of the downsides. Yeah. That was one of the downsides of being fa a famous outlaw. That people like Jesse Evans just just had it out for Billy. He he had people constantly wanting to confront him. You know, obviously try and capture him and bring him into the law, but ruin his life as well yeah that's bad because it wasn't even for the good of anyone to have him witness that and if he had turned him in you could make the case at least he turned him in whereas there he's just literally he doesn't even care if he's out in the street or not he just wants to inflict emotional pain on him mm. so it was just absolutely horrible for billy and as Jesse Evans' guy walks off, basically, leaving Billy in the town by himself. As you said, Billy is now completely emotionally drained. He, he is, he's just horrified. And he's scarred. He was disturbed and horrified and scarred. Uh, but McCarty 
Billy the Kid, uh, decided to write to General Wallace, the head of the territory, and said that he would testify against Jesse Evans if he was granted amnesty. So in a way, the death of his friend and his, the burning of his friend gave, gave Billy the Kid a way out. I know that sounds horrible, but this was Billy's only way not to live the rest of his life on the run. Yeah. And so he writes to General Wallace. And on March 20th, Wallace replies to Billy the Kid, agreeing to the terms. So on March 21st, a day later, uh, Billy let himself be captured by a posse led by Sheriff George Kimball of Lincoln County. So another replacement sheriff for the sheriff that Billy had killed. They're, they're dropping like flies. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So as agreed, uh, Billy uh, provided a statement about his friend's murder and testified in court against Jesse Evans. So he kept his side of the bargain. However, after Billy the Kid's testimony, the local district attorney refused to set him free. Still in custody, several weeks later, Billy began to suspect that Wallace had used sub, sub, subterfuge, another word I'm stumbling on, I'm stumbling on all the words today, Dyer, and would never grant him amnesty. So Billy escaped on June 17th, 1879. So his one way out was dashed by a district attorney. So it's awful. It's yeah. awful. And, and from accounts and everything like that, Wallace actually was going to uphold his end of the bargain, but he just wanted to make Billy wait a bit, kind of, I don't know, once again, maybe his a, fame. A power play, maybe? A power play, showing that you, you were this in, infamous outlaw, and you were running from me, and you made me look a bit silly. So now I'm going to make you just wait a bit. Just, you know, sit, you know, just cook. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, simmer. <laughs> simmer, simmer, simmer exactly. Simmer for a while. So on the 13th of December, 1880, so, you know, a couple of months afterwards, uh, Governor Wallace, you know, the man who, who promised amnesty, uh, posted a $500 bounty for Billy the Kid's capture after a series of murders committed uh, by Billy the Kid uh, during 1879 to 1880. So in one way, he kept his uh, side of the bargain and said, okay, you're not going to be arrested or you're not going to be charged for any of the murders you committed uh, before you, you uh, testified against Jesse Evans, but you killed some more people so now I'm going to put a bounty on you. Yeah. So no one was after Billy the Kid until he started shooting some more people. Um, and during this time, uh, Billy uh, had been pursued, but was never caught by a man called Pat Garrett. And this was separate to uh, Governor Wallace. Uh, so Garrett and Billy had had many encounters over this period. Uh, but up until 1880, well, as I said, Billy had evaded capture. Uh, but following the siege of... Billy the Kid's gang's camp. He joined up with the gang in the meantime. Uh, I didn't really get into this when I was researching it because it, it would just make this this kind of extract of Billy the Kid's life, this tale of Billy the Kid's life, huge. Because yeah. he, in such a short period of time, Billy and this gang did a lot of things. But anyway, cut a very long story short, or to cut a very, very long story into a long story. To make a long story longer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Billy the Kid's gang's ca base camp uh, went under siege with, uh, by Alex Garrett and Billy the Kid was captured uh, along with the gang members. So the prisoners uh, were shackled and taken to Fort Sumner, uh, then later to Las Vegas in New Mexico. So back in New Mexico. Uh, when they arrived on December 26th, they were met by crowds of curious onlookers. So once again, 
Billy Kid's fame, you know, made all these people come out and were like, oh, that's Billy the Kid. We've heard so much about him in the newspapers. I've heard tales, whispers, you know, rumors about Billy the Kid. And now he was there in the flesh. So, so Dara, if you had, if any celebrity came to Galway, who would you want it to be? And why would you go out and see them? Like, I don't know. I, I, I'm just curious. <laughs> um, well, I have a, a love for soccer. So I think Ronaldo came to Galway. That would be pretty cool. That would be very cool. That would be very cool. Or as well, I'd love to see someone like Neil deGrasse Tyson. That would be very interesting. Yeah. Or, like if he lectured in the college yeah, or something. Yeah, or Elon Musk. Someone like that. Oh, yes. Elon's a good guy. Yeah, he's, Elon's he's a good, good guy. So is Neil deGrasse. Yeah. Maybe maybe a Bill Nye. <laughs> yeah, Bill Nye, the science guy. Yeah. <laughs> that would be quite fun. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there you go. So you'd have Bill Nye, Ronaldo. Oh, sorry. You'd have Neil deGrasse Tyson, Ronaldo. Um, who, who's the Musk. third one? Elon, Elon Musk. Elon Musk. Good, good. Those are all good. But on this occasion... It was Billy the Kid, I'm afraid. <laughs> He'll have to make do. He'll have to make do. Um, so the following day, after arriving in Las Vegas, in New Mexico, an armed mob gathered at the train depot before the prisoners were to depart for Santa Fe. So they, they all got on a train, and this armed mob come out of nowhere, and they're, they're talking to, to Garrett, the, the lawman Garrett. And the mob wanted Garrett to release a member of Billy the Kid's gang who had killed one of the town's jailers. And they felt that he should face justice in Las Vegas instead of Santa Fe. Okay. Which, yeah. I don't know, that's reasonable enough. They don't really want him, they want Billy the Kid. Billy the Kid is the big name they want. But Garrett refused to surrender the prisoner. And a tense confrontation ensued until he agreed to let the sheriff of Las Vegas and two other deputies accompany the party to Santa Fe. So he basically said, all right, hop on board. You can't have him, but if you can hop on board, uh, you can come to Las Vegas and you might be able to petition the governor to release uh, the jailer killer to them, you know, the member of McCarty, Billy the Kid's gang. So in a later interview with a reporter, Billy the Kid said he was unafraid during the incidents, during this very tense Mexican standoff, which is quite cool because New Mexico. Right? It is very good. <laughs> it is. Uh, and he was quoted as saying, if, only, if I only had my Winchester, I'd lick the whole crowd. And translation of that is, if he had his gun, he'd kill everyone. Yeah. <laughs> A bit more poetic exactly. than that. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, but that just shows that Billy the Kid did not give a monkey's hoot about anything. He yeah. just he just would have killed whoever, whenever, as long as he was a free man. So they arrived in Santa Fe, um, and Billy the Kid uh, sent Governor Wallace four letters over the next three months, um, asking him basically to intervene. But Wallace refused to intervene, and Billy went to trial on April eighteen uh, on in April eighteen eighty one in New Mexico. Okay. So he's in New Mexico now, he's standing trial. And this is kind of the beginning of the end for Billy the Kid. But he's going to go out with a bang. So following two days of testimony, Billy the Kid was found guilty of Sheriff Brady's murder, who I mentioned in the first episode. Uh, and he was convicted of being a combatant in the Lincoln County War. So really only two uh, main um, charges. And so on April 13th, Judge Warren Bristol sentenced Billy the Kid to hang with his execution scheduled for May 13th, 1881. 
So his death date was set. His, you know, his execution. That must date. be very ominous. Oh, I wouldn't like that. No. Oh, to know the day you're gonna die. It, actually, that, that's a good question. Not by hanging or something like that, Darren. If I gave you the option, if I said right now, I've written on this post-it note in my hand that I have the date that you will die on, and how would you want to know that information? I wouldn't. You wouldn't. No. You wouldn't. Okay. No. Would no. You? Um. I don't know. I obviously I'd be intrigued by it, and I I might want to know. But then I feel like for the rest of my life, I'd be kind of panicking and looking at my life as a countdown rather than living my life to the fullest. Yeah. I, I don't know. It, it would be very odd. It'd be very odd. Actually, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> You've convinced me, Dar. But Billy Kid did know his death date. So following his sentencing, uh, Billy the Kid was moved to Lincoln, back to Lincoln, where he was held under guard on the top floor of the town courthouse. And on the evening of April 28th, 1881, while Garrett was in White Oaks collecting taxes, so another town, a deputy called Bob Olinger, Olinger? Olinger yeah. uh, took five other prisoners from the courthouse across the street for a meal, leaving James Bell, another deputy, alone with Billy the Kid at the jail. Billy the Kid then asked to be taken outside to the outhouse behind the courthouse. Uh, once he was taken out, he hid around the corner, slipped out of his handcuffs, and beat Deputy Bell with the loose end of the cuffs. During the ensuing scuffle, Billy the Kid grabbed Deputy Bell's revolver and fatally shot him in the back as he tried to get away. Wow. So that is one account you know that was one tale that just shows how bloodthirsty how just slippery really slippery well. Billy the kid was he yeah he, he was just not a nice guy no. and he killed this man who's running away but then again he is trying to escape and if he doesn't kill deputy bell he's gonna sound the alarm maybe maybe ring the bell on yeah. him yeah literally <laughs> literally so yeah so there you go so billy the kid is on his own. He, he, everyone else is across the street. Um, so, but he still had his legs shackled. So he broke into Garrett's office and took a loaded shotgun left by Olinger, the other deputy. Um, so Billy waited at the upstairs window for Olinger to respond, uh, to return uh, and after the gunshot um, that had killed Bell. Uh, and then he waited until he came across the street and he's walking out across the street and he called to him and he says... Look up, old boy, and see what you get. When Olinger looked up, Billy the Kid shot and killed him. Oh, wow. What on earth is this man? Like, he's such a bloodthirsty dude. Yeah. He could have just escaped. He's just doing it for the fun of it at exactly, this stage. Exactly. So he's just murdering guys left, and cent left right, and centre. It's mental. So he just blows. He basically, from, from the accounts that I read, he just blows Olinger's head off. Like, I mean, just clean off the, the shotgun. Because... He waited until he was basically in the door frame, uh, and so so there was I wouldn't say there's more than maximum three meters between them. So he just absolutely took his head off. So about an hour later, uh, Billy the Kid managed to free himself from the leg irons with an axe, which is kind of badass, uh, and he obtained a horse and rode out of town. Um, and according to some stories, he was singing as he left. He was happy. He was happy. He was at peace. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway this is the real end of McCarty 
Billy the Kid's life. So while Billy the Kid was on the run, Governor Wallace placed a new bounty of $500 on his head. And almost three months after his escape, Garrett, responding to rumours that Billy the Kid was in the vicinity of Fort Sumner, left Lincoln with two deputies on July 14th, 1881, to question resident Pete Maxwell, a friend of Billy's. So, so Alex, his kind of antagonist for the later yeah. years of his life, heard these rumours and he's coming to town. He, he knows Billy's around, but this is it. He wants to put an end to Billy's escapades. This is it. So Maxwell, the son of a landlord, uh, spoke with Garrett the same day for several hours. And around midnight, the pair sat in Maxwell's darkened bedroom when Billy the Kid unexpectedly entered. Oh, so Billy back. walks in. But instead of having the upper hand this time, Billy failed to recognise Garrett due to the poor lighting in the room. So drawing his revolver and backing away, Billy the Kid asked, Quain is, Quain is, which is Spanish for... Who is? Who is, who is. Uh, who is it, who is it? Um, I've probably butchered the pronunciation, but I don't speak Spanish. It's the same, same. Um, so recognise... Uh, by this stage, Garrett also hadn't recognised it was Billy the Kid. So, uh, so <laughs> Alex Garrett. <laughs> so Garrett draws his revolver and fires twice without even thinking. Just shoots, shoots Billy the Kid. The first bullet struck Billy in the chest, just above his heart, while the second one missed. And although the bullet missed his heart, it proved fatal, thus ending the life of one of the most infamous outlaws in the history of the Wild West. So that is the tale and end of Billy the Kid's life. This famous, famous outlaw. A real saga. <laughs> it, is, it is fitting, though, that he died away a cowboy would. In a shootout. In a basically. shootout, yeah. Mm. No, it's good. Uh, he didn't have many classical kind of showdowns, as in standing at two ends of the street, drawing and firing from the hip. He murdered a lot. Yeah. Um, but they say that he is the kind of definition of a cowboy. He oh, is he's a real of... cowboy. Exactly. And um, but is it fair to say, like, at the start he was killing because he felt it was for a, a cause? Exactly. But towards the end... He was just killing for the sake of it. Yeah, by the end, he was just killing for fun, which is an awful thing to say. As in, once he murdered a couple of deputies, you know, once, he, once, I'd say, the switch from kind of the protagonist to the antagonist of his own life came after the Lincoln County War for Billy the Kid. I think he became a kind of bad guy in not only everyone else's eyes, but in his own eyes, because... No longer was he fighting for something or, you know, even fighting for himself. He, he was just, he went off the loose end. He, he tried to do everything honestly and it completely backfired. So in a way, it's a tragedy. His life's a tragedy from start to finish. It's very tragic. Poor Billy. Poor Billy. R.I.P. Billy. Rest in peace. So yeah, that concludes Billy the Kid's saga and uh, his story. And topic one for this show uh, and also topic two for episode three <laughs> so i believe we're going to listen to come fly with me by frank sinatra uh, and then we're going to go into your topic that's it paper airplanes, airplanes god help me so you're listening to flirt fm on 
and we're about to play Come Fly With Me by Frank Sinatra. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away If you can use some exotic booze There's a bar in far Bombay Come on and fly with me Let's fly, let's fly away Come fly with me, let's float down to Peru in Lama Land, there's a one-man band, and he'll toot his flute for you. Come on, fly with me, let's take off in the blue. Once I get you up there, where the air is rarefied, we'll just glide starry-eyed. Once I get you up there, I'll be holding you so near You may hear all the angels cheer Because we're together Weather-wise, it's such a lovely day Just say the words and we'll beat the birds Down to Acapulco Bay It is perfect for a flying honeymoon they say, come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. Once I get you up there Where the air is rarefied We'll just glide Starry-eyed Once I get you up there I'll be holding you so very near You might even hear A whole gang of cheers Just because we're together Weather-wise, it's such a cuckoo day You just say those words and we'll take our birds down to Acapulco Bay It's so perfect for a flying honeymoon Oh, babe, come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly Pack a small bag. Hello, and welcome back to Rory and Dara's Research and Development. You're listening to Flirt FM on 101.3 FM. So Dara, we just finished with the Billy the Kid saga slash storyline. And I believe we're going on to topic two of today's episode, which you've prepared, which is paper airplanes. It's very similar to Billy the Kid. <laughs> I can imagine. Very goes hand in hand with Billy the Kid, believe it or not. <laughs> Oh gosh, yes. I always think when I'm thinking of Billy the Kid or researching Billy the Kid, paper airplanes. Same, same. I don't know why. Mm, it's it's just it, the correlation is amazing, just so clear. Really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It is amazing. <laughs> Did you know that the bullets he fired they were actually paper airplanes? Paper 
Wow, I didn't, I yeah. didn't. And he murdered quite a few people. He did, he did. Lethal, lethal. <laughs> Actually, what's quite funny is he definitely could uh, have broken a Guinness World Record uh, by killing so many people with paper. Airplanes. Oh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> I doubt many people have, to be honest. <laughs> Maybe, what's it, post-mortem? No, what's it called when somebody gets awarded something after their death? Oh, uh, posthumously. Ah, yes. We should award him the most kills with paper airplanes posthumously. Posthumously. Isn't that it? <laughs> there but we go. <laughs> I didn't really know where to start with paper airplanes. But, so I think the best way to do it is I'll start from the beginning. That's a good place to start. <laughs> I think it's the only place to start. <laughs> but most historians at this stage, when they study the, the vast field that is paper airplanes, I've come to the general consensus that it was the, the Chinese that were the first to build paper aircraft. Okay. Because if you think of it, it makes sense because if you were to take a substance like paper, mm. originally it comes from places like China and Japan. Okay. And Japan. So um, even if you think of origami, yes, that goes hand in hand with paper airplane making. Exactly. So I think we're off to a good start. We're off to a good start. So it really does seem logical that they would be the first ones to find a creative use for paper, such as paper airplanes. Now, it came to light in about the 1700s in France that paper airplanes were quite useful, okay? Okay. But not just in the study of airplanes, it was in um, the study of hot air balloons. Oh, so, so you're telling me paper airplanes helped with the study of hot air balloons? They did. <laughs> Hear me out, Rory. Hear me out. I'm listening, I'm listening. Every Halloween night, okay? Okay. We have a tradition here in my home, I won't give yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was looking at you there. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. But we use paper, you know, lanterns. Oh, yes, yeah. Made yeah. out of paper. Paper, yeah. And you light it. And they float up. And, and they float up. Mm. And what substance would they be made out of? Pa- paper. Pa- paper. 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 <laughs> paper. 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 Air balloons. There we go. So believe it or not, the Montgolfier brothers oh. used paper to make hot air balloons in France, and in 1783 they made the first human carrying hot air balloon from a paper-lined cloth. Gee whiz, that's very impressive. So what they did was they took the the humble idea of the the lantern Mm. made out of paper. They sort of made a larger scale model, made um, some few adjustments so that they could put some little human-like figures in it. Okay. Sort of action figures. Yes, yeah. And then they basically made a bigger version made out of proper cloth and a wooden basket. Oh, so the final model actually wasn't made of paper. No. Okay. No, it, okay, it sorry, wasn't. Sorry. It was, it, that would be some A, I'd say A3 grade paper. Yeah. <laughs> but even what I find really fascinating is some of the greatest minds, like myself and yourself, <laughs> other scientists, used paper airplanes to help their studies. Oh, really? So Leonardo da Vinci. He wrote in many of his journals that he used parchment paper to build models of the ornithopter, which was his version of the helicopter. Oh, I think I've seen drawings of it. Obviously his drawings. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, so believe it or not, probably the greatest mind 
of the past maybe six, seven hundred years, mm. such a pioneer used paper airplanes. Gee whiz. Like I use every day. <laughs> but he used them to sort of try out his ideas before he did on a large scale. And he used them because they can be so accurate. Um, they, you know, the same laws of physics apply to them that you can use small scale models like this to test the effects and how a model would react before scaling it up. Okay, okay. So it's kind of a cost-effective way to make a prototype. Yeah, very, very cost-effective way and cost-efficient. Cost You're not wasting your money. Mm. <laughs> just paper. <laughs> oh, just on paper. A lot of paper. A lot of paper. Um, believe it or not, the Wright brothers. Oh, yes. As many of you know, they were the first uh, humans to take part <laughs> in uh, flight mm. in an airplane. Yes. Not like uh, Icarus. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> no. Or Superman. <laughs> yeah, but engine power flight, really. Okay. Um, so Arville and Wilbur Wright made their first successful airplane flight on December 17th, 1903, as many of you probably already know. What you don't know <laughs> is that paper airplanes played a magnificent role in uh, this... Uh, tremendous accolade to say the least so they built a small scale model of their paper of their airplane out of paper before they did it so they they were going so in depth with these models that they knew that when they took it to the big scale yeah that was going to work yeah oh my god is that crazy they, they must have been pro airplane paper builders so this is really like Many people dismiss paper airplanes. Don't. <laughs> they are cutting edge science. They're crucial. And many of you are probably aware of a company called Lockheed. Lockheed Martin. Okay. And they would be probably um, the main runner in sort of um, ammunition, but also in aeronautical research. Okay. So they make a lot of planes for the U.S. Army. And for armies all around the world. And you wouldn't think that paper airplanes would be so important to this corporation. But I would they not. are. They are. <laughs> so during the 1930s, a fella or a bloke by the name of Jack Northrop used paper airplanes and paper airplane models to test the aerodynamics of larger aircraft for the Lockheed Corporation. So coming up to World War Two, Lockheed Martin were in full-scale production of um, many aircraft just because there was an imminent threat of war. And what did they use? What did they base all their research on? The humble paper airplane. Okay? Oh my goodness. But this is where the history of paper airplanes becomes very interesting. It's during that World War Two period. So many children at the time were sort of crafting their own um, models of cars and planes, but they were using metals. Now, because of rationing, what was one of the only substances available? Paper. 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 <laughs> Comes up again. Paper airplanes basically saved children during Sa that saved time. Saved childhood. I believe. Saved childhood, you know. If there was no paper, there would be no happiness for these kids during <laughs> such a dark time you know oh, what i mean yeah. took their minds off it but then some of the most popular paper airplanes during that time they were the 
designed by a fella by the name of Wallace Rigby. Oh. Wallace is probably, he's the gold standard of paper airplane makers at the time. So he was an Englishman, but he moved to the United States in the 1930s. And he was such a pioneer and he's so well respected in the the great world of paper airplane making that he was making these crazy models of paper airplanes like so off the wall they weren't your standard fold once fold lengthways then fold down the way going along the deck then you bring in two triangles the other triangle you fold it up and you bring the wings out just for the listeners at home Dara has a piece of paper in front of him and every fold that he was making he was bending the piece of paper but failing to crease it so we nearly had a fully done paper <laughs> I would have it done I, I'll show you right now oh gosh okay so Dara has folded the page in half so I'm folding it in half okay he's, he's creasing it I creased it and this is where it get in, gets interesting oh, it's getting very interesting I'm so gonna... he's, he's folded it back out so it's a full page and fold it over the top left-hand side into, oh, the top of the page into two triangles. Uh, per per perfectly equal triangles? Perfectly equal. And together they make a nice isosceles triangle. They do. At the very top of the page. I'm going to fold it over this way now. Okay, so he's folded it in half again, but this time with the triangles folded in the way. Oh, and he's folded the side of the airplane down at an angle, creating a further triangle, another triangle, on the left-hand side of the plane. And he's doing the exact same on the right-hand side of the plane. <laughs> this is one of Wallace Rigby's designs. Oh, is it? Yes. Oh, and he's creating a larger triangle now, uh, doing the exact same method. The wings of the plane. The wings of the plane. And on the opposite side again. <laughs> a lot of symmetry here. Well, you'd hope it'd be symmetrical. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's the only way it'll fly. So look, we're going to do a test flight here. Wallace Rigby. Oh! Oh, for the listeners at home, it flew beautifully. Very steady. That was very steady. That was excellent. And it's landed upright in the far corner of the room. It's And I can use it again and again. And again and again and again. And again. So that was... Uh, that's dedicated to the late Wallace Rigby, that design. So it was nice to pay homage to such a, a famous man. Bless up. But many children were intrigued by his designs. And he would, he used to kind of walk down the street with these paper airplanes and just throw them. And they used to fly so well. Mm. So he kind of recognized a gap in the market. So he came up with so many different designs of paper airplanes that he published his models as books or box sets. So if oh. you can imagine, um, what sort of sets can you get these days? Lego. Lego. Something like Lego, more or Lego Technics. So he'd have... Airfix. Airfix is you, well, exactly pull it. Pull off the plastic. Exactly it. So he'd have different types of paper. You'd have to sort of glue them together. He'd give you step-by-step -step instructions on how to do it. And then he'd sell them. So I think Lego probably capitalised off this idea and many others. So paper airplanes again. They're at the forefront of probably one of the world's most popular toys. Gee whiz, I owe my childhood because... Uh, Lego is a huge part of my childhood to paper airplanes then. Crazy. That's mental. <laughs> and the funny thing is, um, he was very well respected. Uh, so much so that on a Sunday, newspapers would print his designs as part of the comic section. Oh. So when kids would go towards that section, there you go. 
how do you make these paper airplanes? Step-by-step -step instructions right there in the newspaper, national newspapers. And that would, I'd say that would be great advertising for his sets as well. 100%. Because 100%. then the kids already have a taste. Oh, yeah. Ah, but clever. The, the funny thing is, many of the models that he he sort of created, they had like really strange and bizarre colour schemes. Okay. Like off the wall, really weird burgundies, really loud reds, funny colours. But see, there was an ink shortage at the time. So what did Rigby do? He had sort of a tab and slot construction. They had sort of a way that you could take different coloured paper and then slip them in seamlessly together so you could get multicoloured sections of paper, which were all different little tiny bits of paper but would make one large sheet, which would be multicoloured. Because if you think about it, it's hard to dye a large piece of paper the same colour. It would take a lot of ink. But if you have different multicolored stuff, it looks way better. And the tab and slot construction makes it easy to actually, actually like bring all of it together. And many of those original sets are still out there and they're prized as collector's items. Oh, wow. So yeah. if you have one of those the sets, <laughs> you should really consider, uh, I don't know, maybe putting it on eBay for <laughs> a yeah. large sum of money. <laughs> yeah. Now... If you were to bribe a child in 1944, I think the best way to do it would be through the use of a paper airplane. How and often do you bribe children, Darren? I don't. I'm, I'm just saying. Like, if you were to. If, if, if for some reason you had to, a paper airplane back in the day would be a way to do it. And General Mills, my man General Mills, he recognised it. So he was a general in the army and he recognised it. So... He had a promotion at the time that offered to send children two paper airplane models in exchange for two Wheaties box tops and five cents. So there were 14 different models in the series that you could get. So these included a w, uh, sorry, World War II, <laughs> WWE, <laughs> World War II fighter airplanes such as the Curtis P-40 Flying Tiger, the Submarine Spitfire, the Mitsubishi A6M0 and the German Volker Wolf. <laughs> Be careful saying <laughs> very, that one. Very careful. <laughs> I, I was going to pronounce it probably the proper way, but I didn't want to. <laughs> I didn't want to. But like, he recognised the fact that if you want something from kids and families, you have to use paper airplanes. So he got what he wanted. Kids got the paper airplanes. Everyone was happy and they could collect them which only encouraged kids to spend, send and spend more money and send more Wheaties box to the army. So basically he was funding the war effort through paper, paper airplanes. airplanes. Exactly. It's it, currency. <laughs> it is crazy. It's actually crazy. So the other funny thing is modern technology has affected the hobby of making paper airplanes. So as CAD or computer-aided design software has become easier and cheaper to use many amateurs amateur paper airplane makers use cad to preview their designs first and then make them uh, so even if you think of paper uh paper airplane electric powered conversion kits they use cad to make them you're probably wondering what are paper airplane electric powered conversion kits yeah that took me off guard i'm not gonna <laughs> so <laughs> what you can do is you can buy a 
a kit off Amazon, I think, that will transform your paper airplane into a free flight electric airplane. Oh, so you, you're basically putting engines on you're your paper airplane. You're basically putting airplanes on your paper... Uh, <laughs> engines on your paper airplane. How cool is that? That is very cool. How cool is that? That is superb. And I'm going to relive my childhood with a little book that oh, I bought wow. in Smith's when I was about seven years of age. It's called Fold and Fly Paper Planes. So, in this book, there are 50 cool planes. Oh, wow. Okay? And it even came with its own origami paper at the back. So, uh-huh. proper proper paper. So, kind of like one of, um, what's his name, Wallace's Rigby. Rigby's, exactly. Um, sets. Exactly. So, like, I'm gone into the unusual thing. So, you can make a design that looks like a UFO, essentially. Ooh. Very cool. Scare some uh, neighbours. Scare some neighbours. <laughs> the barrel roll. Really strange looking one. That is very strange. It, it just for the the listeners at home, it kind of looks like a cylinder that was cut in half, and then it kind of yeah. rests on the edges of so the cylinder. So half of one cylinder is one wing, and half of the other is another. Exactly. This was my favorite one, the RTM, the Return oh. to Me. So when you threw it, it flipped over on its side and came back to you. It was like a boomerang. Wow, that is very cool. It kind of looks like um, just for the listeners at home. Sorry, no, no. <laughs> but this is a this kind of looks like the uh, Batwing. Like the Batwing, yeah. Yeah, exactly. it really does actually. Very, very cool. And just like um, Mr. Rigby's sets, you can see here that there are different colors, different as you were saying. Yeah. So it's blue and red. Is the uh, the RTM is made of blue and red paper. Oh my goodness. Okay, so Dara has flipped to a page that kind of has... I don't know how you describe that. How would you describe it's that, Dara? It's sort of like... If you were to fold over uh, a sheet of paper onto itself, but then if you were to cut a triangle out of the top of it... Yes. Uh, it's really strange looking. It doesn't look like it can fly, but it can. And the way it flies calls to mind Apollo's golden chariot as it uh, raced across the sky. That's its name. That's its name, Apollo's Chariot. Actually, a good a good description of that, I just thought of it there, would be like the mouth of a whale. Yes. A, um, a whale kind of opening its mouth to feed. Uh, it does look like that, actually. It does. Maybe Pinocchio's hiding inside. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> El Diablo, really cool looking plane. It's very cool. It has, much like the RTM, it's made of blue and red paper, but the red is more predominant on this one. Um. But it also kind of... It looks like horns. Uh, yeah, El oh, Diablo. El Diablo. El Diablo. There you go. So they're just some of the planes I used to make in my, my childhood. They're very cool. They're very cool. But I'd lo- also like to talk about some paper airplane facts. Oh. So these pioneers and engineers and, you know, physicists <laughs> that are the, at the forefront of paper airplane research deserve a mention. So the first person I would like to talk about is Joe Ayub, okay? And he used a plane designed by John Collins, okay? And this broke the longest um, distance record for a paper airplane. Oh, wow. So the record distance for a paper airplane to be thrown is currently held by John Ayub. And he used a plane designed by the famous John Collins, okay? So the throw was made on the 26th of February, 2012, at the McKellen Air Force Base near Sacramento in the United States. And the distance 
was 226 feet and 10 inches. Oh, wow. 69 meters. That's some distance. Isn't it? Crazy. Yeah, wow. Very nice. Crazy. So the next little record is the longest flight time. Okay. So this doesn't have... This doesn't have to be uh, meterage. It doesn't have to be no, distance. No, just time. Just time, okay. So it's 29.2 seconds. Oh, wow. And it's held by Takuo Toda of Japan in Fukuyama. And that took place on the 19th of December, 2010. So 29.2 seconds, nearly half a minute. And it hasn't been beaten in like 10 years. No, no. So really, the Japanese and the Chinese have it down to a fine art at this stage. Well, they did, they did begin the entire process of paper airplanes they did the highest altitude throw was achieved on the 24th of june 2015 by a man by the name of david green so he launched his paper airplane um at a height of thirty five thousand and forty three meters gee whiz schweppes crazy now i don't know how long that would have lasted i would imagine it would have lasted way more than 29.2 seconds i was yeah that's a very good point that's a very good point i wonder maybe there you know with the guinness book of world records they have specific uh parameters yeah for each record so you can't just break a bunch of records so i'd say that maybe the longest distance has to be inside a certain room, certain air temperature, you know, everything and a certain like that. height. And a certain, certain height. height. Exactly. Because then you can just go up higher and higher and exactly. break it. So, my final fact and record is the largest paper airplane. Oh, wow. So, it was achieved on the 28th of September 2013 by students and employees at the Braunschweig Institute of Technology in Germany. Ah. It was launched in an aircraft hangar so a lot of these records take place in aircraft hangars because okay. they're so big and the lack of wind yes uh, from a platform uh 2.47 meters high and flew just over 18 meters okay the plane was made from paper obviously and took 14 people 1200 hours to build it and the plane had a wingspan of 18.21 meters <laughs> so so it flew basically the wingspan of the plane it did is that crazy <laughs> that's mental crazy that is mental that's one big plane that is a big mama <laughs> but that is my attempt at the topic of paper airplanes for this week i think it was brilliant i uh, thought i hope you enjoyed it oh it's really good it was really good now and i'm positive that the listeners at home enjoyed that as hopefully, well. hopefully. <laughs> that was such a intriguing topic such a i don't know odd topic to choose very odd that's good that's very good you did a very good job thank there, you Darren. very you much be Robert. proud of yourself thank you <laughs> pat yourself on the back pat myself on the back oh gosh well i think that brings an end to today's show i think so it does do you have yeah. any anything you'd like to mention first i would like to say dream big go home get some paper Make some paper airplanes, throw them out of your window, and all your neighbours with them, and just have fun with the paper airplanes. I like that. I like that. That's a good message to leave off on. So I've been Rory. And I've been Dara. And you've been listening to Rory and Dara's Research and Development on Flirt FM 101.3. And now for the final song of the show, Wolfpack's Game Winner.
Hit the game with 